Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. And as most everyone has moved on to New Year's or Valentine's, um, that we are refusing to move yet. And we are here pondering that Jesus brought God to us. And I think it's even um, kind of lovely, just the way it works out, uh, this is always the tiniest Sunday of our year as a church, because people are traveling for very good reasons. Um, But there's something that feels almost fitting about a really quiet space, um, uh, asking everyone to come up closer, um, because we're coming close to ponder uh, what must in many ways be taken only in silence, which is this miracle that God really did come to us, and it's not just a picture on a card, it is the deepest story of our reality. And so in a moment, what I want to do is I want to read you a story, and that feels very fitting today, too, as we're sort of gathered around. But I want us to hear from John 1 of how God in this little baby, the one who is the Word, descended into darkness, and the darkness did not overcome our God. The darkness did not overcome our God. God brought light, the radiance of love. God infused God's own being with our reality. In this season, we remember that God was birthed into our world. But did you notice in John 1 that it isn't just that God was birthed into our world, but that through God, we were birthed into our world? John put it this way, all things came into being through him, and without him, Not one thing came into being. There's an oft-repeated line that we all begin our story separated from God, but that's actually not the truth. The first truth is that we all come from God. We're as near to God as a babe is to her mother, which certainly sets the entire human story in a very different light. We are loved from the very get-go. We wouldn't have a breath if God did not give it to us. We're near to God from the very beginning, before we've done a single thing to deserve it. We are God's idea. You are God's idea. Before we've done anything to deserve it, Before we've done anything to respond, we are God's good idea. Of course, this makes our walk away from God all the more disturbing, confounding. But it doesn't change the love. 
It only means that God's love had to receive the wounds that we would inflict. It only means that the love would have to come after us, after those of us who were named as the beloved. It means that our foolishness in running away from God and resisting God puts us in a kind of ridiculous, though extreme and grave danger. And yet, in Jesus, God enacts this reckless, rescuing, pursuing love. That is what John 1 is describing. That God in Jesus comes to us into the very darkness, bringing with him light, and the the darkness does not overwhelm him, and that this God comes to rescue us out of the very darkness that we've made for ourselves. So I think what I would really like to do is to read you a story from Walter Wangerin, who, if you haven't read Walter Wangerin, he's one of our best storytellers. And this is one of his stories called, And Grace My Fears Relieved. First of all, the love of God is a terrible thing. It begins by revealing unto us such treacheries and threats in the world that we know we must die soon. And until then, we are sure we shall live in continual terror of the end to come. The first act of divine love is to persuade us of the reality of death. We shudder and doubt that this can be love. We hate the messenger. We loathe such lovers. But it is a dear, necessary act nonetheless. Because without it, the second act of God's love would be altogether meaningless to us. The second act is mercy. An absurdity of mercy. It is that God himself enters the same reality he first revealed unto us. He bows down and joins us under the same threat of death. And of those whom he taught to fear, he leads to safety. But those who do not fear do not follow. See, we had to suffer extremist fright in order to know our extreme need. We who are under death must admit the peril. We have no other choice except to die, except to die. But God, who exists above death, who knows no need, of, no need at all, had the choice which we did not have. If then he emptied himself of power and humbled himself to death, even to death on a cross, this was purely an act of mercy on our behalf then who can measure the love of God to be thrice sacrificed? First, to be despised for declaring the terrible truth. Second, to descend by choice into this treacherous and transient world. Third, to save us by dying indeed the death he had revealed, dying it in our stead. Or whereto shall we liken so violent, valiant, and near an approach of the kingdom of heaven unto us? Well, 
The coming of the kingdom is like the coming of my father to my brothers and me when we sat fishing, blithely fishing from a ledge 12 feet above the water in a stony cove in Glacier National Park. In that year of sudden awakening, 1954, I was 10. My brothers, grinning idiots all, for they had followed a fool, were in descending order nine and seven and six. Just before our trip west, I had furnished myself with fishing equipment. A Cheerios box top and my personal dime had purchased 10 small hooks, three flies, leader, line, a red and white bobber, and three thin pieces of bamboo, which fit snugly into one pole. Such a deal. Such a shrewd fellow I felt myself to be. A leader of brothers indeed. On a bright blue morning, we chopped bits of bacon into a pouch, left the tent on high ground, and went forth fishing and to fish. We sought a mountain stream, though we ourselves did not depart the trail down from the campground. Fortunately, that same trail became a wooden bridge, which crossed furious roaring waters, the crashing of a falls from the slower bed of a stream. A mountain stream. There, to our right, before it dived down into the rocky chasm below this bridge, was a mountain stream filled with fishes. Certainly, we had found it. But the bridge joined two high walls of stone, and even the slower stream came through a narrow defile. But I was a shrewd fellow in those days, a leader, like I said. I noticed that a narrow ledge snaked away from the far end of the bridge, that it went beneath the belly of a huge boulder and therefore was hidden from the view of lesser scouts. If we could crawl that ledge on hands and knees through its narrowest part, ducking low for the boulder, why, we'd come to a widening, a hemisphere of stone big enough to sit on from which to dangle our legs, a sort of fortress of stone since the wall went up from that ledge a flat 12 feet and down again from that ledge another 12 feet, perfect, safe from attacks, good for fishing. I led my blinking brothers, brothers thither. None questioned me. I was the oldest. Besides, I was the one with foresight enough to have purchased a fishing pole. You got to flatten out here, I called back, grunting in order to fit beneath the outcropping boulder. They did. One by one, they arrived with me in a fine, round hideout. Above the sheer rock, some trees leaned over and looked down upon us. Below our feet, there turned a lucid pool of water, itself some 12 feet deep. And so the brothers Wangerin, Sons of gladness and glory began to spend a fine day fishing. We took turns with the pole. The bacon didn't work, but as a sign of our favor with all the world, the trees dropped down on silken threads some tiny green worms, exactly the size of our tiny hooks. We reached out and plucked worms from the air, baited the hooks, and caught Truly, truly, sever, several fingerling fish. Oh, it was a good day. All that we needed, we had. Then came my father. We didn't see him at first. We weren't thinking about him, so filled with ourselves we were, and our chatting and our various successes. But I heard through the water's roar a cry, distant, distant, Wally! I glanced up and to my right, where the water dropped over stone 
where the bridge arched it, and I almost glanced away again, but a wild waving caught my eye. Wally! 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 Dad! Yes, it was Dad! Hey, look, you guys, there's Dad leaning over the bridge. They all looked, and straightway Philip started to cry, and then Mike, too. Paul dropped my pole into the water 12 feet below, and I saw in our father's eyes a terror I had never seen before. Wally, how did you get over there? Over here? I looked around. Suddenly, here was no fortress at all. It was a precipice, a sheer stone drop to a drowning water, and that water rushed toward a thundering falls far, far below my father. With his, with his eyes, I saw what I had not seen before. In his seeing, which loved us terribly, I saw our peril. He was crying out as loud as he could, Wally, come here, come here. But the ledge by which we'd come had shrunk. It was thin as a lip now. The hairs on my neck had started to tingle and my butt grew roots. I couldn't move, neither did my brothers. I didn't even shake my head. I was afraid that any motion at all would pitch me headlong into the pool below. I gaped at my father, speechless. He stopped waving. He lowered his arms and stopped shouting. He stood for an eternal moment looking at us from the bridge, and then his mouth formed the word, wait. We couldn't hear it. He didn't lift his voice. Quietly under the booming waters, he whispered, then he bent down and removed his shoes. At the near end of the bridge, he bent down farther, farther, until he was on his stomach, worming forward, knocking dust and pebbles by his body into the stream, bowing beneath the enormous boulder that blocked our freedom. Dad's coming! See him! Yep, Dad's coming! I knew he would. He pulled himself ahead on the points of his elbows, like the infantry beneath barbed wire, his face drawn and anxious. He was wearing shorts and a long-sleeved flannel shirt, red with darker red squares, I remember. When he came into our tiny cove, he turned on his belly and hissed to the younger of us, Mike, take my heel. Mike was six. He didn't. Mike, now! Dad shouted above the waterfalls with real anger, grab my heel in your hand and follow me. You should know that my father is by nature and breeding a formal man. I don't recall that he often appeared in public wearing short sleeve shirts, nor would he permit people to call him by his first name, asking rather that they address him according to his position, his title and degree. Even today, the most familiar name he will respond to is Doc. Dad is two-legged and upright. Dad is organized, controlled, clean, precise, dignified, decorous, civil, and formal. What a descent it was, therefore. And what a sweet humiliation that he should on his stomach scrabble this way and that, coming on stone, then going again, pulling after him one son after the other, Michael, Philip, Paul, and then me. Wally, grab my heel. Follow me. It wasn't he who had put us in the straits. 
Nevertheless, he chose to enter them with us in order to take us out with him. It was foolishness that put us here. It was love that brought him. So he measured the motion of his long leg by the length of my small arm, and he never pulled farther than I could reach. The waters roared and were troubled. The granite shook with the swelling thereof, but my father was present and very present. I felt the flesh of his heel in my hand leading me, and I was still in my soul. I ceased to be afraid. That stony cove had not been a refuge at all, but a danger. Rather, my father in love bore refuge unto me. My father bore me back to safety again. So I did not die in the day of my great stupidity. I lived. Thus is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain man whose eldest son was a nincompoop. It was foolishness that put us here. It was love that brought him. My father in love bore refuge unto me. My father bore me back to safety again. So I did not die in the day of my great stupidity. I lived. This is the gospel story that we focus on so dearly in Christmas. This is the gospel story that we hear over and over again given to us in the scriptures as we read them and hear them. This is certainly the gospel story of John 1, that the word came to us, that Jesus came to us, that in Jesus our Father came to us, coming into the darkness, into the place of our danger, and carrying us out so that our stupidity wouldn't kill us and we would live. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.